Let's turn it again in our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, part of the record given by Luke to Theophilus of the second evangelistic trip by the Apostle Paul, accompanied with by Silas. Then they picked up Timothy in Derby, and then Luke in Troas. And we have covered down through the 24th verse in our first assembly this morning, where having cast an evil spirit out of a damsel, costing her masters the hope of their gain, they bring Paul and Silas to the magistrates, have them beaten, uncondemned because there wasn't a trial, cast into prison where they've charged the jailer to keep them safe. And so we come to the 25th verse, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ involved in evangelism His way. We have met Timothy, who was raised in a Bible-believing home. We've met Lydia, who was from Asia, but yet she worshipped God and did so with the women there in Philippi. And we've met Luke, and we've met Paul, and we've met Silas. But now we meet another man that didn't worship God. He was just a pagan Roman. And the Lord's going to take care of that in short order. And so let's read verses 25 through 30 as the next section of Acts 16. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Amen and amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. At midnight, Paul and Silas, though being in the inner prison and though having their feet fast in the stocks, and though their backs bleeding from having many stripes laid upon them, are praying to God. And they're praying out loud. And they're singing praises to God. And the prisoners heard them. We are not told about any residual benefit on all the prisoners in this particular prison. So those that heard, we see no salvation. We see no conversion. The one that didn't hear is converted. Because what's the jailer doing? He's sleeping. He isn't impressed by their singing or their praying. Most prisoners pray, especially if they know there's an executioner's block the next day. Most pray when they're in a severe storm. And so when someone gets religious because they're afraid, it doesn't mean much. The world's figured that out a long time ago and knows that there's very little sincerity in it. 
any time I have visited those that were in prison because they wanted to hear the Word of God, there are many statements and arguments made by those in the prison system of how the number of those that are converted in prison and, and that last in a state of conversion is very, very small. Because they're lonely and they're feeling bad that they got caught and are incarcerated, but there isn't a change, a real change. And here there's no change. We're just told the prisoners heard them. And while they're praying and while they're singing praises to God, now praises, you would think they'd have picked the Psalms where David said, Lord, have you forgotten me forever? But no, they're singing praises. They're singing the Psalms that start out with praise ye the Lord and that end with praise ye the Lord because they had total confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ would not have sent Paul to Philippi with a man of Macedonia saying, come over and help us unless Paul knew that he had more work to do. Sometimes the Lord makes it a little plainer, like when he was at Corinth, the Lord appeared to him and said, Paul, I've got much people in this city. And this is what we believe. Paul endured all things for the elect's sakes. 2 Timothy 2.10 Maybe that wording helps you about the Corinthians when he was in Corinth. I have much people in this city. No man is going to be able to hurt you while you endure things to preach the gospel to the elect there. This jailer was one of God's elect. We know that from the rest of the Bible. We don't need Luke trying to explain that to Theophilus here because it's explained elsewhere. We're supposed to compare Scripture with Scripture. We're supposed to study here a little and there a little to arrive at truth. But anyway, Paul and Silas are praying and singing praises to God. And suddenly, well, this didn't take a week. This was within the hour. This is, you, there's a lot done in, in this night. And they're singing and praying at midnight. So between then and the break of day, there's a lot done. So these events are just happening one on top of each other. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Not just an earthquake. There was not just some tremors that made the lamp fixture shake a little bit. There was a great earthquake, and it shook the foundations of a prison. Prisons are not usually the lightest built buildings or the lightest construction in a city for a couple of reasons. One, they have to be secure if you've got dangerous criminals there. Two, it's usually built and funded by public revenues of taxation. It's not private enterprise that might cheat on some corners to have a slight facility. But these foundations are shaken, every door is opened, and all bands are loosed. Now that is not good for a prison. When there is confusion, when all doors are opened and all bands are loosed, every prisoner can walk out to the street and be free, hiding in the confusion with no door to get through and no bands to loose. Praise God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. You know, in Acts chapter 12, Peter got out of prison one way. In Acts chapter 16, Paul gets out of prison with Silas another way. And the keeper of the prison, here's our jailer, here's our pagan Roman, awaking out of his sleep. He hasn't been listening. He hasn't heard Paul and Silas sing just as I am 15 times and then hum it 
an additional five. Been there and heard that. Paul and Silas weren't singing just as I am to work the prisoners over or the jailer. He's asleep. But waking out of his sleep, he knows the consequences when he has been charged to keep criminals. It's going to be his life for their freedom. Since they got away, and he looks, he opens his sleepy eyes, and he sees the doors open. And seeing the prison doors open, how would that affect you as a jailer? To wake up and see the prison doors open. Your history. So he draws out his sword, and he's going to kill himself. Now you may, you may be asking, and I must shorten things up here, could he be regenerated at this time, willing to kill himself? Be very careful. Could a regenerate man commit suicide? Where would you go in the Bible? Samson. And Hebrews 11.32. By faith, Samson. Not that he committed suicide by faith, but that he judged Israel by faith. And he's in the hall of faith. But we don't know when he was regenerated. The Bible doesn't tell us. Right now, he's rather hopeless. He doesn't have any hope or trust. And why would a Roman? He's got to commit suicide because they are going to torture him, beat him, and then kill him anyway. So he might as well do it. He feels hopeless. As we look at this 27th verse, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. I mean, what would you think if you knew that every band was loosed and all the doors were opened and there was great confusion going on because the ground was shaking from a great earthquake? What would you suppose? They're gone. Oh, they would have sprinted for the street and they would have sprinted to the next block to get away from that prison. But the Lord's in charge. And the Lord's in charge of the hearts of all men. He is able to open hearts and He's able to close hearts. He can open hearts to the hardest thing it is for them to ever be open to, and that's the gospel. He can close their hearts to the thing that they desire the most, and that's freedom out of prison. So they stayed. They just stood there, looked around at each other. Wow! You know, the doors are all jangle, jangling open. Everything's free. Their bands are off, and they all stood there. That's my Lord, and it's your Lord. What would have happened to the jailer if they'd all run away? He'd have been killed in the morning. They were all there. And so Paul cries with a loud voice in verse 28, Do thyself no harm. Don't kill yourself, jailer, for we are all here. (laughs) You know, unless you've read the whole Bible, you don't know that God deals with men's hearts that way. Can he take the desire of a thing craved for out of your heart? Exodus chapter 34, God told the Israelites, when your men, all your men, have to go to my place of worship three times a year for the, fr- the three big seven-day feasts, all your neighboring nations will not desire your property. Right. You say, I bet they all taught their wives how to handle the shotgun. They didn't have to. The Lord told them that. When all your males have to come before me, no one's going to want your property, your house, your cattle, or anything. It's all going to be there when you get home because I'm going to take that desire away from them. And yet, when those same nations were terrified of the Israelites coming across the Jordan River after what they did to Egypt, the Lord hardened their hearts to come against Israel in battle when they should have sued for peace at any price. That's our God. Prisoners that should have wanted to escape didn't. 
want to escape. A pagan that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ all of a sudden wanted to know, what can I do to have the faith and hope that you have, Paul and Silas? He calls for a light. He springs in. He thrusts them in the first time. Now he's springing in to join them. I love the Bible's choice of words. He didn't saunter in. He sprang in. He leaped in. He rushed in. To think that all the prisoners were still there, to think that the power of this earthquake had accompanied their singing, these men had also cast out a devil. They'd been praying and singing. He knew that their spirits were different from any prisoner he'd ever had before. He falls down before them, a totally different spirit than he had when he thrust them in. He gives honor to these two men that are representatives of the Most High God that had been professed throughout that city for many days. And he brought them out, out of their particular cell in the inner prison, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now at a verse like this, depending on your background, there's a great temptation just to leap right on in to the bandwagon of Arminian salvation. Well, this guy just wants to go to heaven when he dies, and he doesn't want to go to hell. He doesn't know there is a hell, and he doesn't know there's a heaven. So what are you talking about? Why don't we make salvation out of Matthew 14 and verse 10, where where Peter said, Lord, save me. When did Peter say, Lord, save me? When he was about to sink into the Sea of Galilee, and the Lord had to reach out his hand and, and lift him. Because he saw the winds and the waves boisterous, and it was a little too much for his faith at that moment. And the Lord reached out his hand and saved him. It wasn't salvation from hell. It wasn't salvation to heaven. It was salvation from sinking into the Sea of Galilee and drowning. Or shaming himself severely. So the Lord had mercy upon him. What can we presume or what can we think or what can we draw or gather from the Bible about what the jailer was doing? Well, the best thing to do in any verse like this is what wasn't he doing? Remember, there's a a two-step approach to reading any verse in the Bible. What does this verse not mean? Because the rest of the Bible tells me it can't mean that. Then you can worry about what it does mean. And it is a shame that we have to spend so much time on this. And we shouldn't have to spend very much time. The jailer was not asking to be elected. He was not asking Paul and Silas to hear more about Jesus Christ by their singing. He hadn't heard their singing. The jailer was not asking Paul and Silas to repeat his favorite sermon that he had heard earlier in the city. He wasn't asking Paul and Silas how they cast out the damsel's devil with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't lying on his bed listening to their prayers and singing under conviction and asking how to invite Jesus into his heart. The jailer was soundly asleep in the vain comfort of his depraved faith and exhausted body, and the Lord woke him up, and the Lord did a miracle by there being no prisoners escaped. He knew that Paul and Silas were of a very different character than anyone he had had before, and they immediately comforted him by telling him, Do thyself no harm. What prisoner in their right mind that had just had their clothes ripped off a couple of hours earlier and beaten with many stripes, thrust into an inner prison, their feet made fast in the stocks, would ask a jailer to be merciful on himself? Every other prisoner would have started a round of applause for them all to look and watch the jailer impale himself on his sword. So this man, asleep two minutes ago, all prisoners still there, 
and a prisoner seeking his well-being, he springs in, he falls down before them because they are different men than he's ever met before and he wants a reason of the hope that is in them. What must I do to be saved? I am a pagan, hopeless, helpless Roman. I was just about to kill myself. You guys have been professed to be the servants of the Most High God. The prison has just had an earthquake like never before. Earthquakes are not so specific that they're able to open every door and still have everyone there alive and everyone's bands loose but no one hurt. And so when he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? We should understand it in its context right here, and we should understand it in its context of the rest of the Bible. He wasn't a theological student asking to be justified. He wasn't wanting to know how he could get himself free from Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. He didn't know any of those things. What would he say? He was hopeless. He was a wreck. What must I do to be saved? What can you do to help my family? I need deliverance. I'm a mess. I'm nothing like you. You have confidence in the innermost prison. Your God sent this earthquake. You care about me when I thrust you into this inner prison. I need that. I want that. What do you think it means when it says that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks a reason of the hope that is within us. Paul and Silas had hope in very dire circumstances. He didn't have hope in the best of circumstances. He was in charge of the place. Now, of course, he thought the prisoners had left and the Lord was shaking him to the foundation of his very soul. He calls for a light, he springs in, and he asks them, What must I do to be saved? He wasn't a weekend theological student asking to be justified. He wasn't asking, How can I get elected? How can I get justified? How can I be regenerated? If you'd have said the word regenerated in any language, he'd have just looked at you with a glassy look because he wouldn't have had a clue what you were talking about. And yet... Most everyone goes to Acts 16, verses 30 and 31, to say he must have been asking, how can I get born again? He didn't know there was such a thing as being born again. We're reading way, you're reading way too much in the passage to ever come up with anything like that. We want to limit it to what we can assume from the passage and then from the rest of the Bible. He wasn't asking that. He didn't know God's holy claims against him by Adam and his own sins and his need for deliverance. He was under great fear and conviction. He was seeking peace with God and hope for a hopeless life. And he didn't do any more than what we hope that people will do when we live righteously in front of them. And Paul and Silas had been living righteously. Let me say it again. They were praying and singing praises to God. And when the jailer was about to kill himself... They stopped him. That is contrary to human nature. That we are all here is contrary to human nature. That man's world was turned upside down from the drastic thought of all the prisoners are gone, which would be the most... Can you imagine telling the magistrates that in the morning? 
Yes, sir. I lost them all last night. Not just Paul and Silas, but all of them. His world was shaken to its foundation, so he's trembling. But he sees in these men something that he did not have. What must I do to be saved? How can I be like you? How can I have the trust that you have? What's this God that you worship that I don't know about? Tell me about him. What must I do to be saved? See, we understand something. That for a man to say that, three phases of salvation have already occurred. One's about to occur, and we can promise him a fifth. And that is where we stand in interpreting the Bible. And we don't let a historical account like this rattle our theological or soteriological cages. Just like when we believe the sonship of Jesus Christ, we do not let the historical account of Daniel chapter 3 mess us up. What did Nebuchadnezzar think he saw in the fiery furnace? One like unto the Son of God. Daniel 3.25. And it's capitalized. So if you've got a capitalized Son of God in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are you going to be alarmed about our doctrine of sonship that says God did not have a son until Mary had a virgin-born son? Or are you going to understand that historical context two ways? One... We know from the rest of the Bible that the Word had not been made flesh yet, so God did not have a son, because God's Son was in the fullness of time made of a woman. Two, the opinion of Nebuchadnezzar the pagan Babylonian isn't worth anything, and neither is the jailers. Are you, you say that's a, that's a different way of looking at the Bible. If you don't look at the Bible that way, you're going to end up in heresy so fast. That's how we've got to study the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar's opinion is worthless. The jailer's words are worthless. They don't mean a thing. He didn't know what they meant. He just knew he was a disaster and he needed help. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that is the cure and that is the solution for every natural problem and every spiritual problem. If you want the hope of eternal life, if you want to know the God of heaven, Jehovah, He has a son named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Believe on Him. Let's get started at the foundation principle point. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the message of the gospel. Jesus is the Son of God. Believe on Him. Humble yourself before Him. It is a shame that the word saved has been so corrupted we can hardly read a verse in the Bible that has the word saved in it without jumping to the Arminian conclusion that they're going to tell him how to invite Jesus into his heart in order to be born again. He had to be born again in order to get down on his knees and be worshiping Paul and Silas and trembling before them and asking, what should I do to be like you? What should I do to have favor with your God? Believe on His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is the answer we should give. That is the message that we should believe and that we should press others to believe that show they might be God's elect or are asking, how do you worship the Lord Jehovah? You believe on His Son, Jesus Christ. This is history. And we're not going to make any more out of this passage than we would Daniel chapter 3. You know, just three verses later, if you read Daniel chapter 3, He sent His angel. The explanation given by those that were in the knowledge, that knew, knew that it was an angel. You know, Nebuchadnezzar didn't have the foggiest idea about the incarnation. 
Do you know that Nebuchadnezzar hadn't read 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh? He hadn't read John 1.14, the Word was made flesh? He, he just thought that if there's a human form looking a little differently, angels tend to look a little differently, don't they? A little better in a fiery furnace, and the fire isn't affecting the other three because of this fourth one, and the fire was so strong that it burned up the mightiest soldiers in his army, that must be the Son of God. That must be one of my gods has had a son on earth in a human form. So he jumps to that conclusion. Who cares what he thought? We look in the rest of the Bible, what did the, what did the Philippian jailer need? And what did Paul give him? Paul told him to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no discussion of being born again. There was going to be discussion now that, that the Lord Jehovah, the only God, creator of heaven and earth, had a son that he sent for the redemption of his elect. And that's what Paul would have taught him. All you have to do is read back to chapter 13 and find out that as many as were ordained to eternal life. See, Luke understood it. As many as were ordained to eternal life. God sent his son to die for those that God had given him. There is one hope of redemption. There's only one hope of eternal glory. And it's not found in any of your Roman deities. It is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul didn't offer the jailer election, predestination, justification, or regeneration, or any such. Through those three phases of salvation were already out of the way as pertaining to the jailer. But there was a phase of salvation that was setting right in front of him, and that was to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be practically converted from his ignorance, his hopelessness, his helplessness, his false religion, his false ideas of salvation, his false ideas of an eternal reward for the wicked or the righteous, whatever they might have been. And that is why we're doing this right now in the middle of Romans chapter 10, where Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Those were elect Israelites that needed to be saved from the ignorance of their Jewish legalistic religion to faith in Christ Jesus that he alone can pay the price for our sins. And the preaching of Jesus Christ, just saying these words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then explaining them that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is God's Son, and if you're going to believe on Him, you need to be baptized in His name and then obey His commandments. That will tell you right then, 99 times out of 100, the response you get. Because a man that's not born again doesn't have any interest in doing those things. This man started doing things immediately. Right. And what does it say he began doing? You know, there's a fifth phase of salvation that we get to offer anyone. We get to tell them that they can lay hold of it by faith in Christ Jesus. Because faith in Christ Jesus is the evidence that they will be glorified in the great day that's coming. And Paul didn't offer him anything by faith alone because faith alone in the Bible is nothing. It's worthless. It's a devil's faith. It's no more than the damsel had. These men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. If you believe on the Son of God, this is going to be a pervasive change. It's going to affect your whole family. 
your whole hopeless family. Now remember that the Apostle Paul has sight and discernment beyond what you and I will, will ever have. There's called the spirit of discernment in the Bible. It's a gift. It's one of the gifts given to the early apostles. And what he's saying here is we're not going to make any broader or any narrower than what we're presenting about the jailer himself. Your house is going to be saved practically by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what makes Paul, it's what makes Silas and me like this. It's why we're here in Philippi. God sent us to tell about his son. And if you believe on his son, his son makes all the division and difference in the world because those that believe on him show that they're God's elect and those that don't believe on him show that they're not God's elect. He is the savour of life unto life. He is the savour of death unto death. And we can tell you that if you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God's given great witness of him, and I have seen him alive after his resurrection from the dead, there is the hope of everlasting life with him in heaven. Because your faith is the evidence of that. And he took him and he took them home and met that whole family. But look at what verse 32 tells us. They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. They had to explain quite a bit to this man. This hopeless, dark, pagan Roman who had had no interest in their praying or their singing, but had been at sleep. They preached to him the word of the Lord in verse 32. Paul and Silas, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Remember that. And he took them the same hour of the night. Now, are those the kind of actions that indicate a regenerate man? He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Now, why did he do that earlier? He knew what the charge was from the magistrates. Don't you dare let these men go, and you put them in a secure place in the prison, and he thrust them into the inner prison and put their feet in stocks. Now he's taking tender care of them. He washed their stripes the same hour of the night and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. Do you know what we can tell a person about their eternal destiny? If you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and back it up with works and are baptized to show your discipleship in following him, that is the evidence of eternal life. And you can lay hold on eternal life. But we're going to preach to you that you ought to continue bringing forth works to confirm that for the rest of your life. That's why Peter, writing the second epistle, in the first verse would say, I know that you are established in this present truth, but as long as I am alive, I am going to stir up your hearts by way of remembrance to make your calling and election sure. I am going to keep preaching these things because that is the life of the Christian. It starts with faith. But then to faith is added virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. And that was not avoided by Paul and Silas with the Philippian jailer. They didn't lead him in some prayer. Well, why don't you repeat after me? Dear Jesus. There's nothing said about that. And that wouldn't get you anywhere. It is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ in a true and sincere way, and following it up with a commitment that I'm going to live for him by the waters of baptism, and then adding to that every opportunity you have, including showing gentle and tender care toward these prisoners, that at this point, the jailer has to assume the magistrates still hate and want treated severely. He's changed, though. 
And he took them the same hour of the night. Now that's a fast reaction. That's fast repentance and it's thorough. Washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straightway. Notice this is the second occurrence in Acts 16 of a household baptism. But this one tells us a little bit more. What happened to the house of the jailer before they were baptized along with him? They had preaching to them. And they believed. Look at what it says in verse 34. The last clause says, believing in God with all his house. They were all believers. There's no infants baptized in the New Testament. And those that have to run to words like house and household show the bankruptcy of their doctrine, their heresy. Verse 34, and when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced. Believing in God with all his house. He hadn't been a believer. Now he's believing. Now he's rejoicing. You know, you look in the Bible and you say, when was he born again? Here's what the Bible wants you to know about the timing of being born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is how many? Everyone that is born of the Spirit. John 3, 8. When was the thief born again? On the cross. He was cursing Christ. Then he was begging Christ for mercy. When? It could have been earlier. It could have been right then. You say, how could a man born again curse Christ? Ask Saul of Tarsus. But there was a drastic change. And there was a drastic change in this man. All the Lord has to do is say the word, live. How do we know that the word live didn't shake that prison to its foundations? Because he was converting the man of Macedonia that had said, come over and help me. And I'm not saying that the jailer was the precise man in the Apostle Paul's vision. He brought them into his house and set meat before them. He's feeding them. He's rejoicing. He's believing in God with his whole house. And when it was day, this brings us to a new section. And when it was day, The magistrate sent the sergeants saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. The magistrates overnight calmed down from a violent money losing crowd that they had faced the previous day and the slanderous reports We don't know if they knew there was an earthquake or not. The Bible does not tell us these details, so we don't know, so we don't take a hard and fast position on anything about it. They could have reflected on the fact that they did not hold down Roman law. They didn't have a trial. They did not question whether these men were Romans or not. Let those men go. Or they could have heard about the earthquake and said, let those men go. They've (laughs) casted a devil. There's just been an earthquake and no prisoners left. Let those two guys go. They've got more power than we can deal with. We don't know. doesn't matter. What matters is God does want to teach you a little bit of wisdom. And so here's what happens in verse 37. But Paul said unto them. Now the jailer's thinking, this is awesome. Oh, what was I going to do? What if they told me to keep Paul and Silas in the inner prison in stocks? They've sent to let you go. Paul, listen to this. The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. You can see the jailer's excited. Everything's working out. And Paul goes, not so fast. And Paul said unto them, I want you to notice this. Paul did not say unto him. Paul did not have a response to the jailer because 
The sergeants are standing there, and Paul wanted to give them a message from his mouth for them to carry back to the magistrates. Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans. Both Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. You did not beat a Roman citizen without a trial in public. Remember, it was a colony. And have cast us into prison on top of that. And now do they thrust us out privately? Are they going to sneak us out of town after what they did to us publicly? Nay, verily. You know what that is today? No way. But let them come themselves and fetch us out. This is our brother Paul. He was a meek man. He had the meekness of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he also had the wisdom of a serpent. He was as harmless as a dove but he was as wise as a serpent. He cleared the Philippian church for the time being that Christianity was not a crime. He cleared himself that he was not guilty of a crime against the Romans by having those magistrates come down and personally escort him out of town. He made them think a second time and a third time in the future if they tried to do anything against a Christian. And he got a little bit of sweet revenge. The Lord could have revenged him so much better and so much differently in so many different ways. That is not the primary intent. But there's wisdom here that Paul is is showing us that when we can use well-established laws to protect the gospel, we should do so. We may do so. Way beyond this study, there are those that would say if a church is a 401c3 organization, which means that they've asked the government to approve them as a nonprofit organization, then they have given up their allegiance to Jesus Christ to the state. That is not true at all. And I, there's extensive documents on the website entitled The Christian and Taxes and God Bless the IRS that go through numerous Bible examples that God expects us to use the laws of the lands in which we dwell for our protection. And so Paul is reminding them, we are Roman citizens. And that news would have would have been shed abroad that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Deal with them carefully. And this idea that you guys can just beat anybody you want in public after stripping us and then throwing us into prison and then trying to sneak us out, that is not an orderly procedure and it shouldn't happen in this city. He's setting a framework for the rest of the church that he left there because he's departing. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. You bet they did. And you know, you don't want to invoke some law that nobody believes in and that a de facto government has superseded But this law was well established in Roman colonies that you did not beat a Roman. Paul's used this before. He's going to do it again in Acts chapter 22. He's going to do it again in Acts chapter 25. He's going to appeal to his Roman citizenship. Does that mean he's giving up his allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ for the power of Caesar when he says, I appeal to Caesar? No. But you don't know how many people I have to deal with on that subject who are who are so rabidly opposed to civil government. That is why they do it. They want any means at their excuse to just defy civil government. We're going to use civil government as far as we possibly can. 
And we had a brother in this pulpit a few minutes ago talking about using it. Whatever they want to offer, we'll take. Verse 39, what'd they do when they feared? And the sergeant said, Paul and Silas ain't leaving until you go down there yourself and fetch them out. And they came. They didn't have to have a city council meeting or anything like that. There was enough said in those few words that they came openly, uncondemned, beaten, cast into prison, sneaking us out of town. Uh Uh-uh. Not in my lifetime. However you want to word it. The apostles, wonderful. The Lord's with them. They came and besought them. That's a different kind of a word, isn't it? That's to beseech them. And brought them out. Brought them out. I wonder if they held their hands to bring them out. And desired them to depart out of the city. It would be a good idea. It might be a nice thought if you would move on. Would you think about it? Now watch Paul. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. Can you imagine the city council with the magistrates getting news? They're back in Lydia's house where they were, where they have been staying. But when Paul saw the brethren, he comforted them and departed. And oh, look at the comfort he had to give the brethren in the house of Lydia. Can you imagine that conversation? What happened to you guys? We heard the news that you cast the devil out of some girl and you were beaten and you were thrown in prison. What happened? How did you get out? Listen, the Lord sent an earthquake. He shook the place apart. The jailer and his whole family is going to be one of the best families in this church. They've they've been converted and baptized already before the sun got up. What? You're kidding! No. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. If, If the Lord will give me time, I may give you a little bit more on Psalm 87 because I'm very worked up about Psalm 87. This man, this man, this man was born there. Born into the kingdom of heaven. Born into the Zion which is above. Of Babylon, of Ethiopia, of Philistia, of Tyre, of Egypt. Praise God for the conversion of the Philippian jailer. And so ends Acts chapter 16. And for those of you that are memorizing it, love these words. For those of you that have wondered about any verse in there, the verses in Acts 16, verses 30 and 31 must be understood in the rest of the New Testament. Verses 14 and 15 about Lydia believing and being baptized, understood in the light of the rest of the New Testament. Election took place before the world began. Justification takes place at the cross of Calvary. Regeneration takes place like the wind blows. All you see is its effect. You do not know how or when a person is born again. The conversion, God must open the hearts of a person to believe the teaching about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fundamental fact. It's the most important issue. He is the person of our religion. And we press that on everyone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Our salvation that we're talking about is entirely dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The legal aspect is His. You were eternally chosen in Him. It is by His power of raising the dead to life that He regenerates. And He is coming back to burn up this place and will raise the dead with the power of His voice. And they'll live with Him forever. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And right there is the acid test of what a man will do. And if he won't do it, he's not God's elect. It is the savour of death unto death. And if he does, it is the savour of life unto life. The thief said, Lord, 
That's a good start. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. It's obvious that you are the king and the Messiah prophesied. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. All based on God's God's electing, justifying, regenerating grace. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And that's how we reconcile these passages together. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. And may we be thankful that as Paul stood in the middle of Turkey in the central highlands, he couldn't go north, he couldn't go south, he could only go west. And there stood a man of Macedonia and got him across the Aegean Sea. And the gospel has come to us. You could have been the one writing me this past week. What are those reference numbers in your Proverbs commentary? I have been trained by perfect Hindu masters. You could have been writing me. I could have been writing you. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord.